Have a lot to get to today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Rick Bennell joins us of the Charlotte Observer to talk about the buyouts of a couple of veterans and to reminisce on some of the trades in Charlotte Hornets past. Can P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges play alongside each other in the long-term future and this? That's good. That's a good hipster take. Uh, Yeah, you can be impressed by the highlights, but I'm looking deeper at the game. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. <laughs> Right, we got plenty of stuff to get to here today. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joins us because it's Tuesday. He joins us every Tuesday. You can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. And lucky you guys, we get him for two segments. Rick, thanks so much as always for the time. How are you? Anything to get me away from the cold in Minneapolis, guys. Oh. It is it is brutal here. <laughs> it reminds me of it reminds me of four years at Syracuse. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, Mean, meanwhile, meanwhile, Foki, uh, John Foki, the radio voice of the Charlotte Hornets, he was in Minnesota for so long. He's probably fine. Well, that's because he knows how to dress in fifty-two layers. <laughs> Imagine it's got to be brutal, but I would imagine you probably picked some stuff up from your time at Syracuse. You've been down here in Charlotte for a long time, but I would imagine you still got some tricks up your sleeve. My my blood thinned long ago. I, I do yeah. not go to these. I do not go to these places by choice. <laughs> Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us to start things off here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Rick, let's start off with the buyouts. The only moves that the Hornets made around the trade deadline. Marvin and MKG both get bought out. I think I saw some reports that they were coming in at about a million and maybe just a little bit less than a million for each of those. Did you did you expect both of those buyouts to happen, Rick? And uh, did you expect them to happen so quickly? the way they did after the deadline i would not say i was surprised that this all happened that fast if they were going to happen i wasn't at all surprised that those were the two people among the you know veterans who weren't playing that those were the two people who um would would be bought out in the sense that by far you know by far marvin is the person who would be most appealing to other teams and that's very obvious with the fact that the you know the team with the best record in the nba thinks that he can help them um mkg is kind of the other end of that in the sense that he was the person who was most disenfranchised by this youth movement by far guys and we know that you know, he, I mean, he was classy about it. He didn't do anything to dog the organization, but it was very obvious in media day. You know, when I asked him, you know, what have they told you about your role? And he just gave me this very stark, no comment that this was not going to be fun and that he had been warned about that. And I had been told by a source about a week before the trade deadline that if MKG was going to get traded to someplace, it was going to be Dallas because they really need a mid-sized defender for the playoffs. Um, Brad Townsend, my colleague of the Dallas Morning News, uh, confirmed that um, you know from a source there. They couldn't work out a trade, but that made it very, very logical that um, when 
when it became buyout time that the that the Mavericks would have a roster spot waiting for them. So and you bring up that trade negotiation between Dallas and MKG eventually did not work out any kind of trade. You know, Rick, there was some criticism circulating, I guess, through Hornets Twitter about Mitch Kupchak not being able to get any deals done. Do you think that there should be any criticism for not trading MKG or Marvin Williams for anything whatsoever? Well, I mean, obviously we don't know specifics, but I will say this. If I were Mitch Kupchak and I inherited the pure hell that was the Hornets' salary cap, I would be very reluctant to do anything to mess with the fact that they are finally going to escape that this coming summer. I am guessing that anything that they would have done that involved trade had high probability of having to take on somebody's salary that went beyond this season. And that, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of reason to be wary of that guys. I I can't think of anything in the, when you're, when you're talking about the long view with the Hornets that shouldn't involve being very careful about not getting back in the box that they've been in. Rick, just real quickly, how would you summarize the tenure for Marvin Williams with the Charlotte Hornets as well as the tenure for MKG with the Charlotte Hornets? Marvin is with Vladi Divac as the greatest teammate in Charlotte NBA history. Um, I don't know anybody who didn't not only like him, but respect him to the max and think that he was the the conscience, the um, – um, the mentor, um, the guy, you know, I, I, I described him in a column as that guy who you would want to be sitting at the desk next to yours at work or on the house next to yours in your neighborhood. Um, as a matter of fact, I, you know, that's a little bit of an issue right now is I understand why James Borrego has, has said repeatedly in the last couple of days that he needs these young guys to start standing up for themselves, to be more vocal. Um, when I discussed this with him um, in Detroit, um, JB literally used the cru- used the word "crutch" to describe how dependent they had all become on um, on on Marvin to lead this young team. And that's all changing now. And he expects them to start fending for themselves that way. Uh, just real quickly, Rick, why did it work out for MKG here in Charlotte? What's your best guess as to why? Um, G- uh, JB is, you know, Steve Clifford. He, um, the best way to put that is MKG was never going to be more fortunate to play for an NBA coach than he was to play for Steve Clifford. Steve could live with the, all the offensive liabilities in order to, you know, use what MKG described himself as, which he was the Hornets middle linebacker. Um, a new coaching staff was going to take a different view of that. And I don't see how any coach replacing Steve Clifford was not going to value MKG less than Steve Clifford did. Great stuff from Rick, and we've got more ahead. Walker, Rick is so nice uh, to come on this show. He's got a stressful job. I mean, beat writer for a team, you're flying all over the country. And, you know, it's so stressful. I I feel like we should give him a gift, you know, a thank you gift for coming on the show. I'm here for that. I'm absolutely here to give Rick a gift. What what did you have in mind? Oh, I'm thinking maybe a boutique spa treatment, a custom boutique spa treatment from our friends at Queen City Beauty Group. They're a boutique spa. They only do custom services. Every treatment is customized to the individual client's specific skin and condition. Owner-operator Nichelle Mosley is a 2018 and 2019 international award-winning aesthetician. That's a skin specialist. 
Nichelle specializes in treating diverse skin tones with life-changing results. If you're going to get a spa treatment in Charlotte, make sure you use Queen City Beauty Group. They offer international award-winning treatments for a variety of skin conditions, including acne, age management, hyperpigmentation, and more. Book a Valentine's special today for you or someone you love, maybe a beat writer that you love, only $79. (laughs) It includes a consultation and an amazing custom treatment with Nichelle Mosley at Queen City Beauty Group, a $50 gift certificate for a future visit, or you can re-gift that, and a special gift from Queen City Beauty Group. It's altogether a $215 value for only $79. To book, go to queencitybeautygroup.com. That's queencitybeautygroup.com. You book the Valentine special and make sure you type locked on in the comment section of the appointment form. When you support our sponsors, you support this daily free show that we do for you. This is Locked On Hornets. I'm not a big fan of grape jelly. I kind of, I'm a little insulted that you referred to me as grape jelly. I'm not a fan of grape anything. Now, I like grapes, but I don't like grape flavoring. I think it goes back to the Robitussin that I had as a kid, and I just don't like grape flavoring. Anyway, great to be back. Great to be back on the show. (laughs) It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Back with Rick Bennell, Charlotte Observer. You can follow him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bunnell uh, here on the Locked On uh, Hornets podcast. Rick, uh, we just got through the trade deadline, and on the show last week, Walker and I were going through the list, the myriad of trades that the Hornets, then the Bobcats, and then the Hornets again uh, have committed to over the years. And it's interesting how different the trade history is for this franchise uh, before they left for New Orleans and after. Before, uh, there were some significant uh, you know, franchise-altering moves that happened, and we haven't really seen that happen uh, recently. W- what are your thoughts on the trade history in general for this franchise and, and any interesting memories that you have about Hornets' trades of the past? You know, they've gone to trade deadlines now without making a deal. Um, I don't know how much or little... Um, we should see that as defining the way that Mitch does business because it's a fairly small sample. But when you the Hornets were as busy at the trade deadline under Rich Cho as any team in the league was. And what Rich was good at, it was small surgical trades that addressed a specific problem, which is what the trade deadline is about, as opposed to what had generally happens in July. Um, you know, Trades like Anthony Davis from the Pelicans to the Lakers, those are very, very hard to do with the deadline. Um, and that's just because what people have to do to it during an NBA season, it paints them into corners where it's a lot harder to make a big trade. Um, the kind of trades that I think about, you know, for all the things that Rich did poorly, the kind of smart little things that he did, you know, it was trading a second round pick for Courtney Lee when they had an injury problem and Courtney was very important for a short span of time in that 48 win season or another one, you know, Jeremy lamb for a second round pick. I mean, that turned out to be a ridiculously, you know, effective thing. And, and, you know, for as much as people complain about Nick Batum's contract, and I understand why trading, you know, Vonley and Gerald Henderson for Nick Batum was a really savvy thing to do at the time. 
Rick, out of all the all-stars that were traded to Charlotte and out of Charlotte in that era under Bob Bass, where he just, and, and impressively so, continued to make sure he got really good talent out of one player coming back if he was shipping out really good talent. Do you think that there was one that was in particularly impactful in Charlotte, maybe more so than the other all-star trades? I'll tell you one that, um, you know, he he had no choice because of circumstances that were above his head. He had no choice but to make a deal for, you know, to, to to deal Alonzo out of town. And he made the best of a really bad situation when you think about it. I mean, he got back Glenn Rice, who is, you know, one of the five best players in NBA, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, in Charlotte history. Um, he got back Matt Geiger, which was a, you know, a really nice piece. Um, Bob, unfortunately, a lot of times was just making the best of difficult situations. Um, Eddie, he acquired Eddie Jones. Um, he he brought in Jamal Mashburn. He kept them viable. He kept them in the playoffs on a regular basis in a situation where they were on a tight budget in a small market. Um, Bob, I don't think, gets enough credit for how he held down the ship under very difficult circumstances working for George Shin. Rick, let's get back to today's Hornets. And you wrote an article about P.J. Washington and Miles Bridges. And it seemed that when P.J. Washington was hurt for a little bit, Miles Bridges really started to play a lot better. And now P.J.'s been getting, I would say, about seven consecutive games of good performances. You wrote about the possibility of maybe one of these guys not being on the team. Maybe within the next couple of years, I'll ask you, you know, how good are the chances in your eyes that maybe one of these players that they drafted in the first round the past two seasons is no longer a Charlotte Hornet within the next year or so? In body type and in skill set, those two people are very redundant. That doesn't mean it was a mistake to you know to use you know lottery picks to acquire both of them. Um, rebuild is about acquiring talent, rounding it up, and then figuring out how it fits together or doesn't fit together and, and making the best of things. Um, but, you know, the the way that the rookie scale works now, you get cheap labor from lottery picks, all first-round picks, um, their first couple of years in the league. The second contract, not the first one, is the one that really, really matters. When these guys get to the end of their rookie scale contracts, I think it's 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 likely they're they're going to have to change you know, to to choose between the two of them because at the end of the day, for each one of them to be the best they can be in the NBA, they've got to be a power forward. And last I checked, it doesn't work very well to have two power forwards starting together. Why do you think Miles has been playing better lately, even with PJ on the floor? Um, he has played a lot more. Um, he's played a lot more four in the last two weeks whether it was because of PJ's ankle sprain or because of how the, the minutes are. Remember, you know, Marvin is no longer, you know, absorbing minutes. Um, they, th- we talked at the beginning of the season about how if there was a position that they were excessively deep at, it was power forward. Well, you know, one way or another, that's kind of been cleaned up now. And, I, you know, I, I don't have the exact number for you, but I bet the percentage of minutes that Marvin has played I'm sorry, that, that Miles has played over the last two weeks at power forward as opposed to small forward is probably the highest percentage he has played all season. That is not incidental to him playing well. Rick, Walker and I have talked a lot over the past week, not only about the new era of Hornets youth 
that we're seeing right now, but also the end of this previous era of Hornets basketball that really, in my mind, began uh, with the acquisition of Al Jefferson and that second Bobcats playoff run. I mean, when you when you kind of take it all in, when you look at that past era of Hornets basketball, what do you think fans will remember? What will you remember from from that era of this franchise history? That unfortunately, the forty eight win season was a mirage. You know, they really thought they were on to something. Um, they reacted to it, and I, you know, I understand why they did that at the time. They reacted to it by, you know, making huge contract offers to Nick and Marvin that neither one of which particularly worked out. Um, you know, Ale was really good for a very short amount of time. But at the end of the day, I think you have to look at those years and say to yourself, you know, they had a terrific player that they drafted in Kemba Walker, and they just didn't do a very good job of surrounding him um, with with the talent that would have maximized Kemba's skills. Um, in some ways, without intending to, um, Mitch summed up the failure of the previous regime when he finally said, "When I, you know, when I asked him for the umpteenth time, you know, why did you feel that?" You know, you couldn't offer Kemba more money. And he said, because we the last three years he was an all-star and we weren't in the playoffs. That says a lot about a lot of different things, including how poorly this team was managed for a while. That's good stuff. We'll end there today. A lot of stuff we got to. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You can find him on Twitter. He's putting out content constantly about the Charlotte Hornets. Find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, we always appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much for joining us. Just pitter, pity me out in that ugly Minneapolis cold the next day. <laughs> we'll be days. thinking of you. <laughs> Stay warm. <laughs> tell, tell John Fokey to get off my back. <laughs> See Thank you guys. Posting me on Twitter. Once again, that was Rick Bennell on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with one more segment here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. And would, you, would I have liked to see a few more shards? Shards? No, I would not. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Rick constantly gives us good content. It's why we welcome him back every single week. He's also the guy to go to for any Hornets coverage. We always appreciate it. I just, I felt like Rick knocked that last answer, that that last question, that I guess, that you asked him out of the park. Like, yes, that's exactly how this last little era of Bobcats slash Hornets basketball should be summarized. It was a mirage, the 48-win season. I thought he summarized Al Jefferson's contributions here to Charlotte perfectly, where he was really good for a short amount of time. And then you could see him dwindle down the next couple of seasons here in Charlotte. Also, you could see that they weren't able to get enough talent around Kimba once he started to flourish, right? I just, I really thought he hit the highlights extremely quickly, summarized it perfectly. Like, yes, that is the end of the Charlotte Bobcats slash Hornets of, bas- of basketball once we got really Al Jefferson into town. And now we're, we're starting a new one here, Doug. Mitch Kupchak's second season. I, I think you're right. I think you were right to give a eulogy to the Rockets game when Cody Zeller played thirty mi- or 13 minutes, I should say. Like, I, I think it's the end. We see a couple guys bought out, and I, I'm interested to see where this new era is going to head. Oh, it's definitely the end. And I think you have to look at the reasons why the Charlotte Hornets could not put enough talent around Kimba Walker. And I think it all goes back to the fact that they signed a lot of players for 
good contracts, right? I mean, MKG, just taken by itself, was a good contract at the time. Kimba's $13 million, good contract at the time. Cody Zeller's good contract if you just take it as, as itself. But then when you piled all of those together, and then when they couldn't move those players because the value had, had dropped out of the floor on multiple uh, on multiple buys, then the Hornets couldn't put enough talent around Kimball Walker. And I think it's very connected to his previous answer about what are they going to do with Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington on that all-important second contract because you don't want to end up in that same situation where you have players that maybe are redundant or maybe don't play well together or the value drops out on multiple players. You have to make very good decisions on on who you re-sign. Every signing is important because it could impact your franchise for multiple years and set you back. And that's what happened to Rich Cho and company. And that's how we define that previous Hornets era. Miles deserves to be praised for the way that he's played the last seven games. And I think he even deserves to be praised a little bit for the way that he's played the last month. Like you look at the numbers overall, really since January 6th, I was looking at his game log. You know, those numbers aren't really bad. The bottom line is, Doug, he was pretty bad before that. And there's a much larger sample size this season to go off of of when Miles Bridges played bad basketball compared to when Miles Bridges has played good basketball. Now, granted, hopefully he can continue this good stretch that he's had and playing good basketball. And again, we're praising him for this. I still feel that there are some people that are starting to bang their chests if they were Miles Bridges fans saying, here we are, Miles Bridges is back, baby. He is going to be the guy that I thought he was last season where he's going to be this big-time contributor. Man, it does seem entirely premature after just, again, seven consecutive games or even if you want to stretch it to a month to say, this is the Miles Bridges that you have come to see and this is exactly who he's going to be. I just can't find it indicative more than the previous 40 games of Miles where he just wasn't very good, Doug. Yeah, I thought, you know, in his rookie season, he approached his his role on the team very well. I mean, he knew not, you know, that that he was on a team with a lot of veterans playing that was still kind of approaching the playoffs, so he played his particular role very well. And then I think he expected to come into this season with a much larger role, a starting role, and, and, and we know that Miles Bridges is a confident player, and I just wonder how much the ascension, not only of P.J. Washington, which we talked about a lot and how that's affected Miles, but the ascension of Devontae Graham as a major uh, you know, uh, distributor and scorer on this team, how that affected Miles Bridges. And, and I saw him wilt in a way that I didn't expect early in the season, both on defense and offense, and now that has changed. I am impressed by the consistency of his effort and the consistency of his activity. I'm seeing this guy make plays uh, on on consecutive possessions and in consecutive quarters. And that's not something that I saw early in the season. I'm seeing it now and and I'm impressed by it. And yeah, also, I, I, also Devontae yeah. Graham right now, I have to I make sure to say this because I meant to say this to you on on the wake up call this morning. Devontae Graham right now is flirting very hard with a triple-double. Almost got it. Was three rebounds away from getting it against Detroit. He's not, he hasn't taken a triple-double on a date yet, but they're a courting right now. They have gone a courting. Man, the assists have been so fun for him. Uh, the fact that you can get a guy like that, I would like to, and you know, we could do this very easily. I just don't have it up in front of me right now. Just as far as the amount of assists, that Devontae Graham averages per game. I just wonder where he is on the best passers in the league from the point guard position because I, I, I have to imagine that being, I don't know, I, I think he might be top 10 
And if you just talk about overall best from the point guard position, right? We're not talking about LeBron James, who is, you know, an amazing passer within himself. But man, Devontae's good, Doug. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Well, In look, a simplistic way, he's a good passer. Here's why it's so impressive, Walker. Look who he's playing with. Yeah, 100%. Okay, LeBron James, Luka Doncic, like they've got talent on those teams. Devontae Graham is throwing passes to I don't know who. Like, you know, and they're <laughs> making shots, you know, good for them. But he's finding ways. Uh, to put players in the best position. That's what's exciting. People ask me, are you worried about Devontae Graham? You know, his three-point shooting is slipping. It's like, no, he's doing so many other things that if talent were around him, would make the team so much better. So I'm not worried at all about Devontae Graham, and I'm excited to see what he does next season. Man, so Devontae Graham is currently seventh in assist in the league right now at 7.8. He's behind guys like Damian Lillard, Ben Simmons, Ricky Rubio, Dodgich, Young, and James. And when you just dwindle that down to point guards, you have to kick out James. Yeah, I mean, Ben Simmons, okay, different type of player. If you want to call him point guard, fine, whatever. You get my point there. Uh, Bottom line, James Harden right behind Devontae. You know, bottom line is Devontae gets better players he gets another year under his belt man that guy has been most impressive to me this season not when he's been shooting the ridiculous threes even though that has been really exciting but it's been when he's been in control as a point guard running the offense and making nice dimes to whoever's cutting towards the basket like that's when I've been most impressive or most impressed I should say uh, with what Devontae Graham has given you this year that's good that's a good hipster take uh, yeah, you can be impressed by the highlights, but I'm looking deeper at the it was. game. It was entirely hipster. I apologize, but I can't help it. All right, I'm going to take you into a little stat right now that is impressing me about Devontae Graham and giving me hope for the future of Devontae Graham, okay? We have uh, well documented on this show the struggles of Devontae Graham inside the arc. He's done well shooting the three, at least early in the season, but when he gets uh, you know, gets guarded well and has to go down into the paint, he has struggled or in the mid-range, he struggled, okay? Over the course of this season, he's shooting under 35% in that mid-range era, area. Over the last five games, it's closer to 60, 70, 80%, depending on what area you look at. He is finding some touch on that floater. You've seen him hit it multiple times. The little teardrop, the little dipsy do. I love it. Devontae Graham, he's getting better. Yeah, we love him again. He's an all-star again in our heart, in our hearts because of the way that he's been playing here recently. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Again, follow us on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Walker Mail. Doug's on Twitter at Doug Branson, L-O-H. And our show handle is on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow.